in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? Update this morning on Bill's safety, Damar Hamlin. This is from Ian Rappaport. Hamlin is addressing the team via FaceTime. Breathing tube is out, and he spent the morning speaking to various teammates on FaceTime and delivered a message to the entire group. Great um, news. Incredible news. Incredible news. Yesterday, the update shortly after our show was that um, he had communicated for the first time through writing right. with the doctors. And apparently the first thing he asked was who won the game. Um, but this morning, he is apparently now talking and talking well enough to a point that he's FaceTiming his teammates in the morning. Uh, the reports are still that um, he is neurologically intact and breathing tube being out obviously sounds like a good thing. Uh, this seems to be like best case scenario. Absolutely. I don't think there's any any doubt about that. Right. For what the range of outcomes could have been for DeMar Hamlin, for it to be Friday after this happened Monday night, for it to be Friday and we're talking about, oh yeah, he's talking to his teammates. And that, that seems as good as anybody could have hoped for after what happened on Monday night. Great response by the doctor yesterday, by the way. Yeah. When he said, did we win? He said, yeah, you won. You won the game of life. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Like, yeah, a great response. He's probably be like, you dummy. Why do you care about the football game? I bet he was surprised that they canceled the rest of the game. He probably yeah. was. Yeah. yeah, he probably was. Because it, that, that, it was unprecedented. Yeah, games don't get canceled yeah. in the NFL. Like, it just doesn't happen. I'm impressed that he's talking today after you have a breathing oh tube down God. your throat for three days. Like, that hurts. Like, I was going to say, just, yeah, out. Be, There's beyond, damage to your, beyond to your, all the issues yeah. you had, just the pain absolutely. of a breathing tube being down there has got to be absolutely no fun. I don't care about her next question. Texas fired Chris Beard Ooh. yesterday, and they did it for cause, which means he doesn't get a buyout. Uh, that means, hey, you screwed up, and it wasn't just losing basketball games, so we are not going to pay you the rest of your contract. Chris Beard was arrested uh, late last year on a domestic violence, or about a domestic violence incident. He's facing a third-degree felony assault. He was accused of choking and biting his fiance, Texas uh, suspended him initially. This happened back in the middle of December, so it's been about two, almost three weeks now, and now they've elected to fire him for cause. And the report yesterday that was, I guess, interesting from the Texas side of this was that the decision to fire him came from above the athletic director. It so was the president of the Board of Regents. Somebody above the athletic director came in and said, we are getting rid of Chris Beard. Well, and like two or three weeks after the he was arrested, his fiance went public and said and walked it back. Essentially. Yeah, she recanted it. Yeah, but that's not how this works. No. So, so he's, well, he's still, got another issue with the Board of Regents then. <laughs> he's still facing charges, is no longer the head coach, and somebody at Texas that wasn't the AD basically said we're just we're moving right. on from the right this. decision we're not dealing did with their Chris own investigation yeah right and ultimately if you're texas right you 
probably did what you were supposed to do this entire time. Yep. Yeah. Fire Chris Beard at the end of the day. Well, and some will say, well, it wasn't quick enough. It wasn't this or that. But there are different legal things you have to go right. through and make yes. sure that you're dotting the I's and crossing Especially the T's. Especially if you're firing someone with cause. Correct. Right. Correct. And ultimately, uh... These things can't just be instantaneous. Right. That, that's what the suspension yeah. is for. The suspension yep. is, oh, you're involved in something that might be bad. Okay. Bye. Does it mean they didn't think it was, he was a bad guy that did a bad yeah. thing? Yeah. So yeah. we'll investigate it. Someone hire him? Decision. Probably. Oh. Yes. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Somebody's going to hire this guy. He's a, Some yeah. desperate mid-major. Yeah. 100%. 100%. He's getting hired somewhere. Coaches get hired all the time with worse incidents than this? I don't know if there's worse. There's probably things that follow you around good. more like NCAA violations, yeah, right. but, you know, we can ask Jim Harbaugh about that. Wow. Sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. So with Jim Harbaugh, a couple of news note, or notes yesterday. Michigan put out a statement from Jim Harbaugh yesterday where he said, no one knows what the future holds. I expect that I will be enthusiastically coaching Michigan in 2023. That doesn't actually sound like a commitment. The word expect is very weird. Right. But then news came out yesterday. The Michigan is under NCAA investigation and they have now been handled or handed, I should say, infractions most of which are minor infractions that relate to recruiting during a dead period. But there is a level one infraction in there specifically for Jim Harbaugh for providing false information to investigators. So presumably he lied about something to the NCA investigators during their investigation, which means Harbaugh could be suspended. Suspended for a certain amount of games. UNLV plays Michigan, by yeah, the way. Yeah, he's pulling a Pete Carroll, guys. You know it. Okay, peace, guys. Deal with the infractions. I'm going to go to the NFL. Bye. See you in Denver. Which he absolutely should. Yeah. And it won't be Denver, by the way. But where where's it going to be then? Colts. Carolina. Oh, yeah. Well, Carolina's probably the furthest along. I don't think anybody should want the Denver job. If you have multiple offers, Denver should be last on your list. Indianapolis is kind of a crapshoot because it's a great organization, but then you also have to deal with Jim Irsay. <laughs> it's just like you know, he's just a little bit over involved. Jerry Jones light. And he might fire you and hire Jeff Saturday to Correct. Yeah. in the year. There's that. But if I'm Harbaugh and an NFL team offers me a job, I'm gone. Correct. Oh yeah. He can't win yeah. a win a playoff game at the college yeah, level yeah. anyways. All of his success is in the NFL in that uh area. So I'm I'm leaving. I'm not sticking around for whatever these even if it's just like uh hey, you're suspended for three games and you're gonna miss the UNLV game or something like that. I'm still leaving if the Carolina Panthers offer me a job. UNLV game. No, his quote ju- of him saying, I expect me back, is just driving up that asking price that he's going to get from whoever hires him. I expect that I will be enthusiastically yes. coaching yes. Michigan. That means absolutely nothing. Oh, Next question. Standing in your corner. Next question. All right. Our quest to predict who scores 50 points on any given night in the NBA has not been going so well. The Celtics beat the Mavs last night 124-95. Uh, I had Luca. He only got to 23. He also like didn't play the fourth quarter because it was a blowout. Jason Tatum got to 29. The closest yesterday was Laurie Markinen of the Jazz. He scored 49, not quite 50. And we've now gotten to a point where 49 is not that impressive because it's not 50. Uh, so we have not hit on one yet, Ed. Do you have a prediction for tonight in the NBA? Who go could with, go for 50? Go with Devin Booker. Devin Booker. Off the injury? Playing. Off the injury. The First heat. game back, or has he been back for a couple? No, he's been back. Okay. Um, I need to make sure he is playing, but I am going to go with Joel Embiid. Okay. 
Uh, I don't know if he's actually playing or not because NBA players miss a lot of games, but I will take Joel Embiid to score 50 against the Bulls tonight. I can't. Are you proud of yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're proud of yourself? Yeah, Fox backs me. Wow. Well, and to be honest, they? to be do honest. They? No, no, selection? that's enough. That's enough. Next question, please. Lamar Jackson did not practice on Wednesday or Thursday. He last practiced on December 4th. He has missed four straight games. Um, the Ravens are in the playoffs. Uh, they are likely going to be the sixth seed in the AFC playoffs. Is he going to be ready to go for the postseason? If you listen to John Harbaugh, he's not going to be ready to go this week. I'll tell you that. Yeah, like, um, I've, so been, I've been sort of be assuming. five games. Yeah. I've and been assuming the whole time. That's a lot of time, time off. Be back. That's a lot of time off. Yeah. I even if you're right, even if he does come back, how good is he right. round one of the playoffs? I just I don't know. The whole time I've been assuming, oh, Lamar Jackson will be back in week seventeen or week eighteen. Yeah. But now it's like, okay, he's not back. And is he gonna push through to play in a playoff game? Because I assume if he was hundred percent he'd be playing this weekend. So I don't know. Like are we we talk about New England possibly getting in and being no fun. We talk about the Titans possibly getting in and being no fun. The Ravens without Lamar Jackson are a brutal team to watch. They do not score any points. Like, they're basically the Pittsburgh Steelers. They would play next week. Right. So, like, I don't want to watch the Ravens without Lamar. We're going to have, we could have three AFC teams that just are horrific. The year of the backup quarterback. Thankfully, the other four AFC teams, the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills, and the Chargers are all all greatly fun to watch. But we could have almost half the AFC playoffs yeah. just be garbage teams that nobody wants to see. The cream of the crop. What's the opposite of the cream of the crop? The stem. The root. The, the, the roots. roots. The roots. The roots. The stems. But then, but then we've got to. We we don't. You don't see the root because they're underground. We right. Would, we would be. Seeing and they wouldn't be them. part of the crop then because it would still be in the ground most likely. Good point. Yeah. We got to. We got to get do more. That. Uh, more corn stalk updates. On I'll uh, ask some of my friends back home. I'm sure they have some insight. <laughs> The Jets are apparently not getting rid of Zach Wilson. Um, they're standing by him through hell or high water. Uh, Robert Sala was asked earlier this week what Zach Wilson can do in the offseason to improve, and he said, go read a book, go do something, get away from the game, <laughs> which I don't think is a good idea. <laughs> That's not a good sign for your quarterback. Why are they so intent Why? on sticking with Zach Wilson? Embarrassed because of where they picked him? Yep. I almost feel like they're they're lying about this. And as soon as they get Garoppolo, Carr, whatever whatever their next quarterback is, they're going to dump Zach Wilson and be like, ah, sorry. Like, but- I feel like this is just always on the roster. We need to stick up just in case he's still around next year. But in reality... They're going to chase, let's say, get Derek Carr. And if they get him, see you later, Zach Wilson. It's like the vote of confidence you hear owners give coaches, and then two weeks later they fire him. Yeah. I, it's just, I there's, I can't imagine a reason why they would. They've got a better quarterback mm-hmm. on a rookie deal in yeah. Mike White. So it's not like, oh, you have to you have to stick with him. No, just you can go with Mike White. you got to eat a little bit of a dead cap hit to get rid of him, but it's not too much because he's still on a rookie deal. The defense is there, though. Yeah, it's like that's a... Probably not a Super Bowl contending team, but like if they had just average quarterback play for 17 games, they're a playoff team. 
And that's so, a huge step for them. Right. Oh, yeah. So his advice to a guy who can't play is don't play. <laughs> is is get, get away from this. Get away from remove the thing. Remove yourself. You, yeah, remove yourself from the thing you can't do that we pay you money to do. <laughs> Which may be a smart take two months and read don't even book. think about. Yeah, read Wasn't a book. Wasn't he in Montana when that whole scandal blew up before the season started with one of his teammates' moms? And he was he in had, Montana? Yeah, he was, uh, he was taking well, time was, away. I thought it was a... Uh, wasn't his mom's good friend? Yeah. yeah. His mom's yeah. friend. Maybe he was in Montana playing football. I don't know. Was he on Bill Foley's little ranch? Perhaps. <laughs> Bill Foley Recruiting got a is, uh, is a different level over there. He owns a soccer team now. Maybe we got to get other people involved. All right. Coming up next, we'll jump into some UNLV basketball as they are still looking for their first conference win. Harris steps through. Shot blocked by Mawoka. Goes to Gilbert, up ahead to Rodriguez. Now to Harkless for the slam dunk. Great defense, quick hands by the Rebels. Rodriguez, terrific pass there, and it's a seven-point San Diego State lead. We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. UNLV takes on New Mexico tomorrow. You can hear that game right here on ESPN. Las Vegas. Um, UNLV started 11-0. They've now lost three of four, and they are 0-2 in Mountain West play. Uh, we came into this year. I don't think either one of us thought UNLV was going to the NCAA tournament. Then they got off to an 11-0 start, and during that 11-0 run, we talked a lot about uh, what do they need to do, how do they get in the NCAA tournament, and how realistic it was. Now that they've lost three of four, now that they're 0-2 in Mountain West play, uh, much less likely that this team puts together an NCAA tournament caliber resume. Right. So... What are your expectations? What should our expectations be for the rest of this season for UNLV basketball? I've dropped down to like top five or six. So I don't if, know if that should be our expectations. I'm just saying, what are my expectations? So if they finish fifth in the Mountain West and don't go to the NCAA tournament, is that success? No, I don't think so. Not after starting off eleven and zero. If they don't go the into if they don't go the NCAA tournament after starting off eleven and zero, I can't see how you'd say that's success. I it's it's a weird. It's similar to football, right? Where the Marcus Arroyo had that team off to a four and one start, and it was like, oh, they're definitely going to a bowl game, and then they won one game the rest of the season. Was that success? And then at the end of the year, you look back and you say, well, five wins is more than anybody expected, and five wins is generally better than UNLV football was, but we kind of readjusted our expectations when they were four and one and they failed from that point. And it feels like we're, we're repeating that with UNLV football where you were with UNLV basketball, where the 11 and 0 start makes you sit around and say, okay, this team could legitimately go to the NCAA tournament. And now we're at the very beginning of what could be a fall from NCAA tournament level team to missing the NCAA tournament and the NIT completely. And I just, I don't know. I maybe I should have an easier time with this. I just have a hard time figuring out how do we gauge success from here on out for Kevin Kruger for his second season, right? Because in the big picture with Kruger, year one the team was fine, uh, but nothing special, nothing terrible. So far, this team overall, I mean, to be twelve and three. Right, overall, this has been a better-than-expected season. Overall, UNLV under Kevin Kruger in year two is is good, right? There, there's no genuine complaints about it. They're in the top 70 in, in net. They're in, I think, 80th in Ken Palm. Like, all of that's better than expected. But big picture for Kevin Kruger, when does he have to go to the NCAA yeah. tournament? 
I mean, I th- I would think I would think you need to. Here's the thing. I don't think the athletic director thinks nearly as him as he did Marcus Arroyo. I don't think he liked Marcus Arroyo at all. I think there's a feeling out there that they really like Kevin. They want Kevin to succeed. I don't know anyone out there who doesn't want Kevin to succeed. But the NCAA tournament is what defines everything in this in this country with college basketball. So third season? By his third season? So tell me if this is a fair way to look at it. Kevin Kruger's first year, four Mountain West teams went to the, the NCAA, NCAA tournament. tournament. This year, um, it's January 6th, so we'll see how this plays out. But right now, three. there are three teams that are in a pretty good spot. Um, San Diego State, New Mexico, and Utah State. And Utah State. If, if we just said from here, those three teams made the NCAA tournament, that will have meant in Kevin Kruger's first two seasons that six different Mountain West teams, because San Diego State would have gone twice, six different Mountain West programs went to the NCAA tournament. If I told you at any point that there are six programs better at getting to the postseason in the Mountain West than UNLV, wouldn't you say that's failure? Yeah. Like it's fine yeah. if it's fine if you're not yeah. San Diego State. It's fine if somebody like New Mexico puts together a special season or like Musselman did with Nevada, right? There's gonna be other good programs. But that to me, I think, is kind of damning. If they don't go this year and Utah State and New Mexico make it, and you look around and say, okay, in the last two years, seven Mountain West teams have been and six of them have been a different program. Is it damning if Reno, who's three and zero right now, heads finishes above them? Yeah, I think so. I mean that's because here the whole key in college basketball nowadays you can turn things quickly sure you can go from not being very good to in the NCAA tournament in a hurry and like New Mexico might be the one that's sort of the the big example i mean they were they were under 500 last year mm-hmm. they were not a good team and now all of a sudden they're 14 and 1 and again it's early january they might fall off the face of the earth and we might be talking about ah they kind of suck again, but you can turn things around quickly. And I think your three years there is a fair assessment. Like this year's team, they're still, it's still a conversation, right? And if UNLV can rip off of uh, eight game winning streak, right. Then all of a sudden we're back and we're talking about it. Oh, look at UNLV and they could do this. And I think if UNLV at the, at the uh, end of February, going into March, even if they don't make the NCAA tournament, if we're genuinely talking about it for like, Oh, they're 48th in Ken Palm and they're 42nd in net and they're on the bubble. I think that's their last four out by a uh, right. something that's a, like that. That's a success, right? That's not like, Oh, congratulations. You were close, but it's still good for a UNLV spin. But if this team finishes, uh, let's say nine and nine in conference play, they're not going to be very close to the NCAA tournament bubble. And then we go into year three and you're looking around saying, well, half this conference has been to the NCAA tournament in the last two years, just since Kruger took over. You're not one of them you almost have to do it in year three. And the other thing for Kevin Kruger, it's not like he came in, recruited a bunch of freshmen, and his plan was we're going to build with freshmen and we're going to be good in three and four years. He came in and got transfers in year one, came in and got transfers in year two and got older transfers. And it's that's you do that because you're expecting to be good right away. And so that, I think, big picture for Kevin Kruger it doesn't look good when so many other conference members are in the NCAA tournament or close to the NCAA tournament, and you're not. And it sort of puts this timeline of, I think, three years is fair. If they're not an NCAA tournament team this year or next year, we're probably having a genuine conversation about, can Kevin Kruger do this, and do they need to make a change at that spot? How about the NIT this year? 
that would be smashing success I for agree. UNLV. I agree. In all honesty, if they go to the NIT this year and then miss the NCAA tournament next year, that that might be enough. Just right. say, hey, one NIT appearance in three years. Right. That might be enough because the the whole NCAA tournament drought, they haven't been to the NIT in that time period either. No, they haven't done anything since 2013. Right. So making the NIT would be massive success for UNLV. So that's that's what I'm curious to see because here's the Ken Palm projection. UNLV's projected to finish 8-10 and 10 in the Mountain West right now and finish tied in a, for sixth place with San Jose State. 8-10 and 10 in the Mountain West. It's a better Mountain West. It's not a bad Mountain West. There's a lot of teams you can lose to that aren't necessarily bad losses. But you start 11-0, and if you go 8-10 and 10 in the Mountain West in your second year, that's not exactly a good look. And we're not exactly looking back and thinking, oh, Kevin Kruger's got him going in the right direction if they finish 8-10 and 10 in the Mountain West. So I'm... Obviously curious to see how the season plays out, but how should we start talking about Kevin Kruger and expectations? Yeah, and, and like and, you said, though, it can change quickly. Yeah. They win tomorrow night in New Mexico, come back and beat Boise and Colorado State. Obviously, the discussion changes. Yeah, and Boise and Colorado State are both at home, and yeah. those are both uh, yeah. games they'll be favored in. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like, so if they can win on the road against New Mexico... They've got a legitimate shot to rip off three in a row yep. and be, you know, what would their record be at that point? 14 and, th- or 14 and three. And then they'd get Utah State on the road, which is tough, would be a potential quad one game if they could win that one. Right. So we, we'd be talking about if they win the next three, we'll be talking about that Utah State game as win this and you're back in the NCAA tournament conversation. Right. Lose this and you're going to have to do a lot more work the rest of the way. But that that's it can change like in a week or so. Oh, it we can could change be doing within yeah. ten days. So it'll be uh, interesting next three games for UNLV basketball, and we'll see what they do, and we'll see where Kevin Kruger actually how we actually project him. One thing I wanted to bring up: um, UNLV San Diego State they played over the weekend was the third most watched college basketball game of the weekend. That's great. Well, yeah. it's on. It's on. It was on nationally. It's it, on CBS. It's on CBS, and it's one game after the other, so people just keep the the uh, channel there, but that's a that's a good that's a good sign. The three most watched college basketball games were all on CBS. It was Oklahoma State against Kansas, and then Louisville against Kentucky were the only two that were ahead of UNLV and San Diego State. So a lot of people watched UNLV and San Diego State. And by the way, to put it into context here, uh, that UNLV game, third most watched college basketball game, got eight hundred ninety-three thousand viewers. Um, let's see. The Sunday night NFL game got 17 million viewers. <laughs> <laughs> the college football semifinal between Ohio State and Georgia got 21 million viewers. So uh, a good number for college basketball, but not particularly close to foot. Football is so unbelievably dominant on our television ratings. Like just going through this. Like, nothing else is even close. NBA regular season, highest viewed game last week was 498,000. NHL was 534,000. There's a Premier League game that got 795,000. Like, uh, WWE got 2.6 million. <laughs> but everything is football. I mean, so WWE got 2.6. That was the highest non-football uh, viewing. Let's see, what's that comparable to? Coastal Carolina and East Carolina got more than that. In college, in a college football bowl game, football just it just, it just dominates. It's unreal. How I'm much trying it does. to find, and uh, I'll get it when we get back. What's your? Uh, give me a guess on the line for tomorrow night. I'm going to say 
Six and a half. Okay. New I'll get it when we come back. Coming up next, Ben Goetz joins the show. Carlson for Connor. In front, they score! Bill Kessel! First shift is a trio. They combine for the first goal of the day. Carlson to Cotter to Kessel. Phil scores his first against the Penguins this year, and he's got seven on the season. The Knights take a 1-0 lead two minutes into the first period. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Ed? What's the spread on UNLV New Mexico? Not applicable. It's uh, not up yet. Oh, it's not really? Up. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess I we're not. It. It's Vegas Insider. I checked it. There we're were not no, quite twenty-four hours. There was away. a lot. All there right. were a lot of them that were like that. So not twenty-four hours yet. Ken Palm says New Mexico by five. Okay, so maybe right. it'll, it'll be, be around, around there. there, five six. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Ben Goats. Good morning, Ben. Ben. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you guys? All right. Happy is, New Year. Is uh, Bill Kessel, William Carlson, and Paul Cotter the greatest line in Golden Knights history? So far, by goals percentage, uh, <laughs> 100%, it's up there. Actually, they gave one up, so maybe it's only 50%. Um, no, it, they were really good last night. Obviously, I think they were kind of put together by necessity in terms of being some players that Taxi kind of had left over after he reconfigured a line for Jack Eichel when he came into lineup last night and Captain Michael Amadio with Mark Stone and Chandler Stevenson. But however that group came together, it obviously worked last night against the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think it was obviously this big gleaming ray of hope coming out of last night that maybe their season-long search for a third line might finally be pointed in the right direction. Uh, but also it was only one game with a very clearly motivated Castle going against team that he won two Stanley Cups with. So we'll see if it continues. I think they obviously definitely earned another look Saturday against the Los Angeles Kings and for the Knights who have been searching for something to click with that group all year, any sort of positive momentum. I think they're just going to take the ball and run with as a positive. Is this, as Lindsay suggests, Phil Kessel with a pep in his step? He definitely had a pep in his step. Last night, I thought he was skating really well. Obviously, created a couple of odd man rushes with Paul Cotter. And to his credit, was also a very selfless person yesterday where Cotter shoots on the first two-on-one, doesn't even look Phil Kessel's way. Kessel still passes Cotter the puck on the second one. So he was skating well. He was moving. He was in a giving uh, mood as well. And so I do think that was one of the best all-around games we've seen from Phil Kessel, besides the one penalty he took. Uh, this year, I believe it was only a second two-point game of the season. So clearly, he had a lot to, going on in his mind last night against his former team, and whatever headspace he got into, it really seemed to work. If Jonathan Marcheseau returns tomorrow, do we get uh, anything drastically changed on these lines, or is he just going to jump in for one guy? I assume he's going to jump in for one guy based on how that third line performed. I would think what we would end up seeing is Marcheseau takes Nicholas Waugh's spot on the Eichel line at right wing. You bump Nick Waugh back to fourth line center where he's been all year and had a lot of success between William Carrier and Keegan Colasar. And so then you've got your line set up in at least a plausible way where you can imagine yourself going four deep. I mean, Bruce Cassidy talked a couple days ago that in an ideal world, he would line up the nice one through four down the middle uh, as, you know, Jack Eichel, Chandler Stevenson, William Carlton, 
Nicholas Law, not necessarily in that order, though that order sounds about right. So he wants those four centers to kind of be the spine of his forward group. So I would imagine that would mean as soon as Jonathan Marks is so ready to go and ready to take his right wing spot back, you bump Nicholas Law back to center and Cassidy gets the look that he started the year with out of training camp and the look that you know he said he now wants to get back to if the Knights were ever to get into a much more healthier spot, which they do appear to be close to with Marsha Stokes. Does this mean that uh, Logan Thompson will now put his Twitter back on that he's an all-star? <laughs> we'll see. He's got a lot of, obviously, gloating and bragging he could do. Uh, it's <laughs> obviously remarkable that he that he's going. Um, he, I think, you know, basically deserves it based on the fact that there has not exactly been a lot of fierce competition for him in the Pacific Division. Uh, I do believe he actually has the best save percentage out of any Pacific Division goaltender because it has just not been a great crop uh, so far. A lot of the kind of key names that you look at, like Jacob Markstrom, Thatcher Demko, are just not having good years. So it's just another remarkable uh, footnote in Logan Thompson's journey from, uh, as Pete DeBoer once put it, Summerlin Softball League to the majors. And now he's not just in the majors, he's an all-star. So kudos to him. Uh, there are three all-star spots that are up for fan votes uh, for each division. Who do you think is the most likely Golden Knight to get one of those last three spots? Yeah, so there's two obvious names in mind, and it's more of a question of whether one of them wants to or not, because I think Alex Petrangelo is 1,000% uh, deserving. Uh, obviously, the offensive production is there, 28 points, 32 games. He's playing huge minutes, leaving the team in time on ice. He's playing hard minutes against other teams. Really good players playing in all situations. And so I think, you know, Petrangelo, just based on the time he's been on the ice for the Knights, really deserves it. But, of course, it's a matter of would he even want to go to Florida right now with what's going on uh, with his daughter's health situation. And then, of course, the other guy you got to look at, and this would also be an incredible story along with Logan Thompson, uh, Chandler Stevenson, who is the nice leading scorer, 40 points in 41 games, has increased his scoring output each of his four seasons with the Knights since coming over from the Washington Capitals for a fifth-round pick. Um, I think Stevenson you know, continues to show that even though he might have started out as kind of a third wheel on the Knights' top line with Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone, he's now one of the two main wheels, and he and Stone are clicking well enough where they can make a guy like Michael Amadio work on that line. And I think anytime you have a guy that clearly can elevate the players around them, that takes them to a different class. So those would be the two guys I would look at. I think Petrangelo, like I said, certainly deserves consideration, especially since Eric Carlson of the Sharks was the only defenseman named for the Pacific Division roster yesterday. Uh, but if he doesn't want to go, I think Stevenson would uh, certainly be deserving of an invite as well. I love the idea that a team with Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, Alex Petrangelo, Shea Theodore, Jonathan Marcheseau could have two all-stars and it not be any of those guys, and it's Logan Thompson and Chandler Stevenson. For all the money they pay these guys, the basically lowest-paid guy on the team is the one that got into the mix. That's economical thinking right there. Should they be worried about Petrangelo's minutes? At this point of the season, I'm not sure about yet. Obviously, I don't think they're going to be able to keep up the kind of pace they have him on throughout the entire year, but I think Bruce Cassidy did put it like, look, he missed you know, nine games. He's got some extra left in the tank, so I think Bruce is willing to kind of get them out of him right now when they're in this difficult stretch where they're missing 
four defensemen basically on the back end, three of their kind of top six defensemen in Shea Theodore, Zach Whitecloud, and Alec Martinez. So I kind of get what Cassidy's thought process was, especially before they got Eichel, Cotter back, before they potentially get Marshall so back. Of, you know, Cassidy just wanted to kind of keep this season on the rails, not have things get away from them, especially because I'm sure even though he wasn't here, it's in the back of his mind that the Knights last year got out to a similar hard-charging start where they were first in the Pacific Division uh, by the time the All-Star coaches were announced and then fell completely out of the playoff picture. So I'm sure Cassidy in his mind was, you know, if I need to squeeze a little bit extra out of Alex Trangelo right now to keep this group afloat, I'll do it. And then hopefully when we're healthy, we can ease back the workload on everyone because we're going to be in a comfortable spot in the standings. And now I would guesstimate after this Kings game, depending on how it goes, if the Knights do open up a pretty comfortable lead in the Pacific, he'll be able to kind of ease back on the throttle a little bit, even while waiting for some of these defensemen to come back in the lineup. Will the Minnesota Vikings win a playoff game? I'd say yes, because they're probably going to play the New York Giants, which I'm confident about that matchup. And I'm not confident about any other matchup. So give me Daniel Jones or give me the end of the season is basically my philosophy coming into this one. Well, he is Ben Goats. Very optimistic about the Vikings' chances. Ben, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Ben. No problem, guys. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, and apparently Minnesota's just apparently piling on the New York Giants today. We you know what's good you for got, us. You got, the two, you got the two Vikings fans, and we had Ben as well. Right, yeah. just that team sucks. Uh, that the, the Vikings are like, yeah, the Giants are terrible. We can at least I beat them. I don't want to overlook Nobody them, else. though, either. They're sneaky. Sneaky. They're sneaky. Them. Our defense sneaky. isn't good, and they got a good running game, guys. Oh, God. What is, what is wrong with you? Sneaky. People, is, you were is, giving me crap earlier this year when I said Nick Hag was a sneaky offensive weapon, and that's exactly what he is. Is he? How many? What's... What? What's he done that he's been well, he a scored, he scored an OT weapon? winner he last scored, week. Yeah, he scored the one. Just because they don't use him that often, it's not his fault. It's not his fault that he doesn't yeah, score Yeah, the only reason why you're like, how sneaky? is he sneaky? Because he's 6'7"? No, how is he a sneaky goal producer when he hasn't scored? Well, he's if got, they fed him the puck more, he would. He's got he would. two goals. I know. Well, it's Seven what assists. Well, when you're playing with Alex Petrangelo, guess who's going to get their number called first? Not number 14. Petrangelo's got four goals. Yeah. Well, because we're not calling into any defenseman numbers anymore. Yeah. It's great. We've diversified that offense, just like the Minnesota Vikings. The Neil Maromanoff has as many goals as Nick Haig does this I know. Year. I miss Miro. He's a good player. They should bring him back. He was well, fun. He has got an owie. He was fun. All right. We got tickets to give away. Two tickets to go see Collective Soul Saturday, January 14th at the Pearl at the Palms. 702-364-1100. That's the phone number. If you want to go see Collective Soul in about a week, 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number four at 702-364-1100. Unfortunate as it is, we got a game to play on Sunday. As unusual as this week has been, it's... It's business as usual from a from a football standpoint, unfortunately. I don't even really know what to say about it because it's such a, a scary, emotional time and you know, guys still have a football game to play on Sunday. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Congratulations to Steven. He won tickets to go see Collective Soul. Coming up in the next hour, we got some Golden Knights tickets to give away. So stay tuned. 
Those are special tickets. Yesterday, the NFL announced that the Bills and Bengals game would be officially canceled. It will not be resumed. It will not be made up. It is a no contest. The Bills and Bengals will end the season with their records having one less game than the rest of the league. They also announced some proposals as to how to handle seeding in the AFC. There is going to be an owner's meeting today to vote on these proposals. So try to get through these quickly. The way they're going to do this is at the end of the season, it depends a little bit on who wins and loses this weekend between Buffalo, Cincinnati, and Kansas City. But we could have an AFC championship that is played at a neutral site if that AFC championship is between Kansas City and either Cincinnati or Buffalo. So, for example, if Kansas City and Buffalo both win this weekend and then Kansas City and Buffalo make it to the AFC championship game, that game would be played at a neutral site according to this proposal. Again, just a proposal at this point. The other significant part goes beyond the one, two, three seeds and home field in the AFC title game, but also the AFC North because Cincinnati and Baltimore had the Bengals lost to Buffalo then Cincinnati and Baltimore would be playing a winner wins the AFC North game this weekend. But because that game's no contest and because um, Baltimore is a game and a half back of Cincinnati, they technically cannot have a better record than Cincinnati. So what the NFL plans to do, if Baltimore beats Cincinnati and then Baltimore and Cincinnati are scheduled to play in the first round of the playoffs, they would have a coin toss determine home field advantage between Cincinnati and Baltimore, despite Cincinnati being the division champion. Because no matter what happens, Cincinnati is the division champion of the AFC North now. But they would have a coin toss because they're looking at it saying, well, if Baltimore wins, Baltimore would be 2-0 and against Cincinnati. Right. And it wouldn't be fair to them that they couldn't win their division and therefore get a home playoff game. I'm a big coin toss guy. <laughs> Friday yeah. night, Friday night a, lights. Who is a big coin Texas toss? Forever Dad. Texas Forever, Friday yeah. Night Lights, the movie with Billy Bob. So is this fair? The owners are going to vote on this. Again, none of this is finalized. The owners vote on this today. Is this what the NFL should do? I'm telling you, I love coin tosses. You just want to see the coin toss? At least both stadiums are outside, too, so there's not like this huge swing. Is it going to be inside versus outside? Well, the outside? neutral stadium, why wouldn't it that be here? One, that one is the why interesting one. It'll well, in or Detroit. Detroit's Detroit. It's uh, going to be indoors. Detroit said they can't do it because they're remodeling their turf. They could reschedule it a week. Apparently they can't tell Martha to push it off a week. Everything will be fine. To me, if I'm an NFL owner today, there's no chance I'm voting yes on this, especially the neutral site in the, in the championship games. Cause they won't go back from that. Yeah, they will. No, they won't. They get, they Once get the NFL revenue. makes a change the, like that, they're going to, that it'll be just like college football. The owners get enough revenue from, home playoff games they won't go but not neutral. the most they possibly could get that's the business they're in not just revenue all of the revenue well if i'm the chief if i'm the bills in this scenario i or chiefs i'm getting screwed out of a home playoff game. well they've already been screwed out of a couple of home regular season games so this you year would too. vote against neutrality so here's the here's the <laughs> issue um one Buffalo lost its control of the one seed. Buffalo lost its control of a buy in the first round and Buffalo lost its control of home field advantage throughout because the game got canceled. Kansas City also can sit there and argue we lost the home field advantage because Buffalo was going to lose to Cincinnati. They were losing at the time. 
And if they lose that game, then Kansas City Kansas will control Kansas City gets a one seed if they win. Both of those teams can say we should have all of our games at home in the postseason. But the biggest loser is the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. The Cincinnati Bengals had control for the two seed. This scenario, Cincinnati cannot get the two seed. Cincinnati, the best they can do is the three seed. Whereas before that game was canceled, they win their last two. They're the two seed mm-hmm. at least. And if Kansas City lost again, they could have been the one seed. None of that's even possible. And not only that, if they lose to Baltimore this weekend, they could be the division champs and play a road playoff game. Yeah. That's stupid. And here's why I would vote no. Mike Florio dug this up yesterday. The NFL has a rule book in place. And in that rule book, it has a scenario. What happens happens if a game is canceled? What do we do? And the NFL rule book says we go by win percentage. Seating will be determined by win percentage. percentage. There's no uh, neutral site game because this team got screwed out of controlling their destiny. There's no coin toss to determine. None of that. It's it's win percentage determines the seating. And if win percentage determines the seatings, and let's just assume Kansas City, Buffalo, and Cincinnati all win, then you would have Kansas City's the one seed. Kansas City gets a first round bye. Kansas City gets all the games at home as long as they keep winning. And Cincinnati wins the AFC North and they get a home game. That's the rules. What the NFL's having the owners vote on today is, hey, last week of the season, do you guys want to change the rules that we're playing by? That's what they're asking owners to do today. And if I'm an owner, absolutely not. Yeah. There's no chance I'm okay with, hey, we're just going to change the, the winning rules. Percentage, the winning percentage argument was the easiest one all along. Right. Yeah. Game's going to be canceled. You go by win percentage. It's the it, easily the uh, the way that it should be done, especially because it's, it's written down in a rule book already. Right. Yeah. This isn't, oh, we never thought of this, and we don't have any rules. In th- they thought of this. There's a rule in place. Why are you asking the owners to vote on it today when you have just follow the rules you already have? But they're not doing that. And ultimately, the Bengals would probably get the most screwed out of this. And then Kansas City and Buffalo can both kind of argue that they're losing something as well. I'm not saying it's right, but I think because of all that happened in the surrounding uh, factors that they vote yes on this. And make it a one-time thing instead of being yeah, constitutionalist I, I don't think, I, I think they would go back to normality uh, next year. But I, I'm not disagreeing they should vote no. I think because of all that happened, they're going to talk themselves into doing this and that they vote yes on this. No, maybe maybe you screw Cincy over. Some more adversity for Joe Burrow to overcome. It could just feed into the legend. They're going to lose. They won't. Not, they're not going to lose to Baltimore well, they, on the road, well, especially gonna, if Lamar's not playing. No beat, way. They're going to beat Baltimore this weekend. Yeah, and they might beat them in the playoffs, too. And then too. they'll beat them in the postseason. But they should have the home field. That's true. And then they'll lose to to. Buffalo, it appears, would be their second matchup. And that's the other thing with with Cincinnati. The NFL's proposal has this neutral site game for the AFC title game. It Cincinnati would have to go to Buffalo in the second round of the playoffs, even though they got screwed out of potentially beating Buffalo and stealing the two seed and having the home field in that game. So Cincinnati should absolutely be voting no and should be trying to find as many possible no votes that they could find for today's owners meeting.